Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice to come on and talk about what's happening in the world of commodities. Sean, how you doing this morning? Doing really good, Casey. Really good. Is that a you get issued that shirt? Oh, that's a Florida State shirt, isn't it? Look at yes, that. It is. That is too <laughs> legit. I thought that might be something you got issued when you moved to Florida. You got that <laughs> got that tropical shirt on. She got the old. Well, my Florida. daughter, my my daughter goes to FSU, and you know they're. Doing rather well this year. Yes, they are. So doing, um, doing quite well. They haven't been doing well in a long time. So gotta gotta spread the love when when the love is needs to be spread. Yeah, so. they uh, <laughs> they have had a, a a very good season so far this year. So yeah, see how they play out through the end of it. It'll be fun to watch. <clears throat> yeah, All right, Sean, for sure. You put out a podcast um, in your in your newsletter that you put out uh, yesterday, and it was, I listened to it, and it was one of the most interesting things that I'd, I'd seen in a while, um, just just because how it was presented and, and it, the thought-provoking part of it. You are putting out there that the fact that about 20% of the Brazilian or the Amazon rainforest in Brazil has been, been cut down, and that is causing um, the 
the lack of rainfall and those kind of things are saying. It's just changing the overall ecosystem and the environment that we're seeing right now as far as things are moving forward. Very similar to what, what would be comparable to the uh, – the Dust Bowl of the 1930s, where in the uh, in the, you know in the Central High Plains and those kind of things, they they ripped out the sod, went in and started planting stuff, and you had a lot of factors take place that were uh, drought issues anyway. And then by doing that, ripping out the sod, it exemplified that even even bigger, right? So I guess Sean, talk a little bit about what your what your reports are talking about and and what you see happening down there. Well, I mean, it's common knowledge that there's you know. In Africa, that we've seen a lot of this de- sure. uh, this deforestation of rainforest and how it's devastated uh, what, what, were, what were once you know breadbasket areas. Here in South Florida, we have the Everglades that we were mowing down thirty to forty years ago, but smart people decided to make uh, to make it a park, so we stopped and kept our from being a desert. So I mean, so anyway, so we have the Amazon, the most prolific, um, diverse rainforest in the world. And, um, you know, Brazil, given that they want, they've wanted to continue to grow production, have started to plant over it. This has been going on for a while. I mean, this is nothing that just propped up yesterday. Um, but it's gotten to a point where satellite imagery now supports 20% of the Amazon is now gone. And another 20% is in rapid deterioration. Lula, the new president, has indicated he sees the problem. And he's put out a policy theoretically that says we're not going to plant any more Amazon, uh, new Amazon ground by the year 2030. The problem is, if you look at the rate of reduction schedule that he has put out there, um, if they're successful at that, they would still mow down another 10% and be 30%. My ar- argument is we're already done. We're already at the point where we we've, we've deforested too much. and. The whole point is this, if you get rid of enough Amazon and you ruin this atmospheric river, which is the cycle of moisture, you know, flow into the atmosphere of coming back down, which is Brazil's been blessed with for all this time, um, then, then you, you've permanently changed the monsoon. Monsoons are very important. The Indian monsoon, Southeast Asia monsoon, the Southwest of the U.S. monsoon. These are critical up, uh, upper atmospheric moisture flows that are counted on to provide rain at key points of the ag cycle to produce big crops. We already, you know, and so, so yes, there's natural ebb and flow in monsoons. We know this. And in the podcast, I talked about how there's a 25-year cycle where the Amazon goes through periods where it is wetter and, and drier through a normal cycle. Um, we've entered that dry that drier cycle where the next decade we should be naturally seeing a drier monsoon in Brazil under normal circumstances. The problem is because we've been we've mowed down or they have planted over 20% of the Amazon, um, it's now going to take that normal trend and it's going to push it over the edge so as an example we're only year three into this decade-long natural declining moisture cycle for the monsoon in the amazon and already we are now breaking record low river level river water levels of the amazon river going back to 1902 Um, and it's still falling and this is only year three 
of a decade-long natural decline in the Amazon, meaning that this deforestation is already putting us at levels never seen before, and we still have a decade to go before the cycle will turn back up again. Um, if you, we know about monsoons. If you don't, if the monsoon underperforms in the beginning, it's likely to underperform the rest of the way in that particular year that it's in. So, so that's one thing. The other thing is that the heat. <laughs> Remember, we always talk about moisture yeah. and temperature. Yep. We the, the way play, uh, farming is done today, we could squiggle away sometimes with very low moisture if we just get enough at the right time and precision farming, all that stuff. But we cannot do it if it's super hot. And the problem this year is that the Amazon and Mato Grosso, which is really part of the Amazon, but it's a huge state for growing corn and soybeans, record heat. You know, we're talking about 100 to 106 degrees, you know, day in and day out. I mean, I, you know, what happens at 106 degrees, even if you got a half inch of moisture, yeah, or even, even, if gonna, even if you get an inch of moisture, at 106, <laughs> it's gone, yeah. you know, and that's the problem. And so, so, so because of this, remember the northern half of Brazil is fed by the Amazon monsoon flow. Now, the, the center east and the south can be fed by Atlantic flow sometimes, okay? But the northern half and the central west and Mato Grosso, it's coming from the Amazon monsoon. And if, it, if it's underperforming, if it's not there, if, if, it's, if, if the soils are already incredibly dry and the river is already incredibly low, the chances that that's going to rehabilitate this coming year, just this particular year, is highly unlikely. Um, and much of the acreage that's been planted, right? Remember, they might mainly plant soybeans right now. I mean, how is that crop going to get out of the, you know, it's going to get established? Uh, much of it's not, which means either they stop planting, waiting for the rain to come. Uh, and it's going to rain. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. You know, a, a failed monsoon or a poor, underperform monsoon doesn't mean zero rain, although up to this point, it's been pretty close to it. But we're going to get some rain this right. growing season. I mean, it, it, we're going to get some rain. But um, but they're going to have to replant, Casey, a whole bunch of acres. Well, if you replant, let's say they, they, they replant the 50% of the acres. Let's say they, they get some moisture later on in November and they finally get a chance to replant it. Well, now you're talking about those soybeans aren't going to mature until what, late February, early March? You can't plant second crop corn behind it until after you harvest it. Right. So what are you waiting to plant corn in March? Good luck with that one. You know, good luck producing a good yield on corn, you know, planting it in March. Um, and then of course, you know, if, if if we have a poor monsoon season, we have very, very dry soils and 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 this carries over into the spring, which I believe is going to, then how much of the corn crop are we gonna get in the ground for second crop corn, which produces seventy five percent of all the corn in Brazil? How much are we going to get planted? How much is it we're going to get planted in good conditioning? I mean, it's really problematic, Casey. And I want to be very clear. I don't think the market's going to react to this over the next 30 days. It's, it's too early. You know, markets don't tend to react to this during planting. But it's not going to be much beyond, in my opinion, you know, let's say late November when we start to get into the heart of the planting season, they're going to start putting the numbers together and say, how many acres got planted? What are the conditions of those acres? How many got replanted? You know, they're going to start putting it 
a pencil to the paper and realize that we could be in a situation where the corn crop, the second corn crop, which which um, you know is was was large, was huge last year, record setting last year, um, you know, could be really, really under uh, pressure this year. And if you take away Brazil corn supplies, there's nobody else to satisfy the demand for the world other than the U.S. And we had a short crop this year, right? So um, now that now in terms of soybeans, you got to be a little careful. Uh, you know, they grow a lot. They grow half the soybeans in the north. They grow half the other soybeans in the south, right? So a lot of times you can have terrible su- northern crops, but the southern crops are huge, and you work out the average, and it's okay. The problem this year <laughs> is that the rainfall they're getting in the south is epic. Um, underwater kind of rainfall that they're getting in the south soybean areas. So that's an equal and opposite extreme that's also not very helpful to getting corn off to a good start. Now, you'll take more rain than no rain at all. I'll, I'll grant you that. But nonetheless, to have one of the top two wettest planting seasons since 1980 is not good. Yeah. So it you know that means that they're not likely going to have bumper crops in the south either to offset terrible crops in the north. So when I run all this together, when it's all said and done, it says to me that the that Brazil this year is really needs to be paid attention to, and that we could get some very substantial um, weather-related crop production worry rallies here in that December, January, February into March timeframe that. You know, we're going to be on the lookout for it to provide opportunities for U.S. producers to make some good cash sales on the crops that they did produce. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a, it's a big story, um, and 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 that's it's a big story for this year. But the bigger story is, we think they're going into an, an overall decade long period of dry weather of a, of a dry weather pattern, generally speaking. And if that is the case, and um, and they're not able to really grow big crops for an extended period of time. Who's going to pick up the slack? Argentina right. is not going to do yeah. it. We have, we, you know, we, we in the U.S. we play the game of of uh, you know musical chairs. All right, we take away from beans, we plant more corn, we take away from corn, more, you know, we just we we don't really have any more acres to plant, so. And and if you look at corn yields, corn yields are the same today as they were in 2014. We've not grown yields. Soybeans, we've not grown yields since 2014. In in Brazil, they've not grown yields in uh, since 2010. In Argentina, they haven't grown yields since 2010. So so when I'm looking at these this yield stagnation due to weather volatility, and it seems like the current technology is reaching a, a plateau of what it could do, meaning. What we've been dealing with, what's been driving that yield increase over time, we've reached. You know, we need we need some, like a, a new iteration, like a new, you know, uh, level of technology to come in to to create the next wave of productivity. Uh, I'm not saying it won't come, but I don't see it right now. And so, that to me is a really interesting story. That if we are in a increased weather volatility environment that the current technology is plateauing on and we already have examples of flatlining yields and the great miracle in brazil which is ever 
planting ever-increasing acres in the Amazon comes to a halt. And if the drought cycle in Brazil is more of a decade-long situation where the yields could actually fall, then the outlook for what prices need to be at in order to stimulate the investments that are required to produce more corn in other regions that are not producing it today and to bring investment in to find out what's that next technology innovation to find a way to grow yield is substantially higher than the current market expectations. I mean, you look at the, on the corn curve, I think futures you got three or four years on the corn futures, you know, they actually trade them out that far. You know, fight all the corn for two to three years out with this kind of a situation seems to be, seems to me to be, you know, not a correct right. <laughs> pricing of the risks that I see going forward. So, yeah, that's, uh, you read up a good point there. And if if uh, if the corn situation is the way it is, that just trickles into you know <clears throat> acres being robbed from soybeans and other crops. Then then that also then then puts a, a an even more of a shortage out there on on those crops to wheat and whatever else is out there. You know, it's going to be affected by that. So now you've got a whole another situation where the outlook for commodities in general, agricultural commodities in general, are now significantly higher. You start talking about um, feed and, and those kind of things. Now you start looking at even cattle prices that need to be even higher. So, I mean, it, it's just like a, it's a domino effect across the uh, entire spectrum. Brazil is so important. You know, they're the largest exporter of beef, the largest exporter of pork. You know, if, 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 if they go into a drought cycle like this, Casey, and they got to herd liquidate, which by short term would be bearish because all the supply would come onto the market for a little while. But then you know what happens. You, you know what happens after that, right? Um, <laughs> then there's no supply. Well, yeah. And, and you know, they produce, they're a large producer of coffee. They're a large producer of sugar. I mean, I go down the list. I mean, they are, they are the breadbasket of the world in terms of producing and exporting most of these key commodities. It's so very, very important. And we've, we've all just relied on, they're always going to be there. They're always going to grow production. You know, they live in a rainforest and they have lived in a rainforest, but it seems to me uh, that it looks like they might finally have killed the golden goose. Um, it's interesting. Precipitation has been declining Casey for over a decade. Now, remember it, they, 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 in the big, you know, 20 years ago, they produced twice more rain than they ever needed to produce a big crop. Like they, they had so much excess rainfall. It, 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 so in the initial stages, you can lose half your rainfall and still produce big crops. And we've seen that. But we're now getting to the point, look, look at, you know, at, at their water storage, subsoil moisture levels, their river water levels have consistently been in the south and the center. Forget the Amazon. I'm talking about in you know, the, the center and south have been at record low levels. Panama Canal at record low levels. Uh, we're now reaching a point where we're now getting to a point where the, the, the moisture is not enough to produce a decent crop anymore. I mean, we're, we're finally at the point where we've taken all that excess off. And, and, and if we stay here or go any lower, you know, now you're going to see an exponential uh, impact to Brazilian production situation and remember you know for the most part for the most part you know brazil doesn't have beautiful dark 
soils that the U.S. can main, you know, can trap all that moisture and keep it in and keep the crop going. I mean, they need consistent, steady rainfall for the most part because it's sandy soil. It goes in and goes out. You know, they they don't have the luxury of having this incredible, you know, you know, God given dark layer of moisture that we have in much of the Midwest that allows us to grow these the best yields on the on the planet. You know, they don't have for the most part they don't have that kind of ground. Yeah. Certainly don't have that kind of ground. Uh, you know, in the north, that's for sure. So, so you know, uh, it's a big risk, and and I think I think if I'm thinking out loud, you know, as a producer, uh, a livestock producer, you know, I think I need to be thinking about what does the world look like um, with it with Brazil no longer being able to grow production. What it looks like, it it looks like a much much higher priced overall agricultural commodity environment. Because we're going to have to get some people else on board. We, the U.S. will play their part. We'll figure out a way to grow more yields. I mean, you know, we're very good at innovation when, when given the right price. But other countries in the world are going to have to figure out how to produce more if Brazil has killed the atmospheric river goose that has been blessing them for decade upon decade. If they've done that, and I believe they have, um, you know, then then we need to find a, a, a totally different set of players here to participate in the ag you know it just can't be brazil us anymore supplying ag to the world it needs to yeah. be brazil us and somebody asked with an s you know to, to come in and, and in order to do that we need high prices for an extended period of time and that's where the super cycle concept has always originated from that is to say that you need 10 to 15 years of higher agricultural prices in order to provide the capital and the time to make the new investments that are required in new countries to produce new production and to create new technologies for the next level of innovation. It takes that long in order to get that happen to where we start overproducing again. So this is year three in at least a 10, potentially 15-year super cycle. Everything that I see with geopolitics off the rails, with money printing and debt creation off the rails, and with weather volatility off the rails, those are your three ingredients to every single super cycle, ag cycle we've ever seen throughout hundreds of years of history that we've studied. So, yeah, a lot in front of us here. We got, <clears throat> it, I guess, Sean, as you take a look at this, if you, the next logical place to go in and <clears throat> replace Brazil to give you some similar area would be would be somewhere in Africa and and you start looking at the African rainforests and in the sub-Saharan Africa and in those areas um, you're going to run into a similar situation that you're running into in Brazil if you go in and and really go after and, and make Africa what it is and into like a another Brazil of sorts I have a really good customer who has um uh, actually owns and farms ground in Mozambique, and he's been mm-hmm. there for about 20 years. And um, he's done everything he possibly could to change the culture there uh, on how to farm and how to you know do it in a in a sustainable way. And and he feels they're worse off today than they were 15 years ago, despite all his efforts and other and other farmers efforts to mm-hmm. you know provide the education and 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 the know-how to to turn incredible potential into actual being a breadbasket and so 
that potential is always there, but it, but the way that many of these African countries are structured in terms of leadership, in terms of um, a societal uh, uh, culture, you know, just the way they've operated, it just seems like a daunting task to get that, to get that situation to become productive. Uh, not that it can't be done. Yeah. Uh, not that it, now, not that it's hopeless, but um, it's, it's a challenging situation. And uh, yep. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm not sure that's necessarily an area that I would bet on. If I'm thinking out loud, I'm thinking Asia has still has huge potential to bring a lot of ground online, like things like Myanmar, Laos, um, you know, places in the in, in Asia where they get a lot of rainfall. They have that subtropical conditioning, greenhouse conditions, you know, they don't have very good governments, a lot of them. And, 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 you know, the, but, but the potential there to take, there's just so much ground that just is there for the, you know, that, that could be put into production. Um, I might be looking there as the potential for some exciting, rapid growth and innovation um, with, with, with a population that might be more, uh, friendly to um moving up the learning curve and how yeah. to farm in a more sustainable manner uh, i i am hopeful for africa and i hope i hope we can do something there just the experiences i'm hearing from people that have been doing it on the ground for decades is not encouraging yeah so <clears throat> tribalism is a hard thing for a lot of western folks to understand just because of, of how it works and just when power shifts all that power shifts to one side and it doesn't get trickled back down to the other side. And it's to your point, it, it really, you kind of start back at square one when, when a new group gets into power. So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a ever evolving thing for sure. So, and, 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 and the one, you know, it's so, so, so like the one thing he was telling me, he was saying, um, one of it, one of the, uh, producers in Mozambique came over here and he said, you're leaving your combine out in the field? He says, sure. He goes, I, you know, we have to have, we have to have an army of uh, guns and, and soldiers to protect our equipment uh, or else it'd be stolen and stripped within 24 hours. Um, you know, uh, it, the government, you know, you know, gives ground to uh, locals because, you know, they want to help keep the money home and, and, they, they, they strip the land, they take the money that is available on a very short-term basis, and they leave it, they, they let it go. Because you know, everyone is so poor there that they, they, they look at the short-term gain of, of short-term wealth creation, meaning just taking what they can get today, and they don't see the long-term value of investing and having that produce good income for you for the long haul. And I'm not saying it's, it's the fault you know, of the people there, if I was as poor as they were for as long as they've been and, and as desperate as they are, I'm not sure my mindset would be any different, but I'm just saying is that is what you have. That's the challenge yeah. that you have to try to overcome. And, uh, and, and I don't know, you know, I'm not smart enough to know how to do that. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, it's a daunting task no matter what happens and who, yeah. who's doing it. So for sure. Yeah. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual, man. I thought that was one of the more interesting things I'd seen in a while about how, how it broke it down. So if folks want to subscribe to your newsletters, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Um, our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Um, you know, we have a lot of uh, stuff on our homepage. You can go there, look at a sample report. You can obviously subscribe there as well. And we always ha- also have a, a, a Twitter page, at Faradex11, that um, we post some stuff on there from time to time to let people know what we do, how we do it, and uh, to see if, how we look at the world of agriculture and price forecasting is a value to your listeners. Right on, man. Well, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I look forward to uh, Thursday when we do this again. Me too, Casey. Sounds good. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Check out the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel, where you can see the video version of this. And go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Here over the next couple of months, we're going to have some big announcements come out. So, Check that out and working on a brand new website as well. So hopefully have that up here by the end of the year. So with that, I am Casey Seymour. We're Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron folks out. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardware.